Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I'm a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, can you keep a secret? Knowing how to respond to the question Over the following weeks and months, I will be tackling some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about exploitation. What exactly does exploitation look like? What does it even mean? Now, exploitation is taking advantage of another individual for the purposes of your own benefit or your own gain. Now, we understand the term exploitation can be used with absolutely anybody. That means young and old, male and female. Now, having done a recent Zoom session, one of the participants asked the question, how can we better identify whether a child is being exploited? What are some of the indicators? What are some of the signs that we can find in a person who intends to sexually exploit another human being, specifically a child? Now, we have to understand, and as I shared in that Zoom session, having a checklist of signs and identifiers is only so helpful. Because I believe if you go out and take that checklist and tick off the boxes in reference to people that you know, I feel that may not be the most useful. In fact, it may be ineffective. Because the fact of the matter is many individuals who sexually exploit children and others, they are very, very seductive, very charismatic often, and they're able to disguise their behaviors so well that it's often very difficult to identify that they have impure thoughts, motives, and improper actions towards another human being, towards a child. Despite this, I want to try and give a little bit more detail on how best can we identify a person. But I have to say it again, having a checklist will only be so effective because there are some individuals who are indeed sexually exploited children but we have no idea because they do not fit within the mold of the various characters that we may find through our research, through reading books or on the internet. As I was thinking about preparing for today's podcast, I had a flashback, a memory of a past incident that occurred to me in adulthood. I was living in New York at the time I was renting and by the grace of God, I found a place when I moved to D.C., staying with a husband, wife, and their two children. I'd spent a lot of time in New York, but I didn't have the same ties and connections to DC that I had in New York. I was fortunate enough, or so I thought, 
to have found a place on the internet and the price was very, very reasonable, a deposit was not required and I was able to sign an informal contract. I moved in and by the grace of God, I had a massive room. I had space in the fridge and freezer, my own key to come in and out, and it was not so far from the train station. Although the inconvenience was having to commute by bus and then train, the location for the price I was paying was pretty reasonable. Now this family originated from Africa, I can't quite remember where, and the two children, let's say there were maybe three and five, I can't quite remember, the two children, I think it was a boy and a girl, were incredibly noisy. Now that was difficult for me because I like silence. Although many of my friends and family will say I talk a lot, which is true, I like silence. I spent a lot of time in silence, reading my book, watching things on the internet, researching, just being in silence. And so I really struggled with the noise. I'd already passed my bar exam, so it's not as though I needed the silence for study and purposes. It's just something that I enjoy. I enjoy tranquility to do whatever it is I'm doing. And often when I am in a residence, people may sometimes not even know I'm home because they really won't hear me. I'm that silent. It was difficult for me because the children were very, very noisy. And sometimes, if I remember correctly, the television was on quite loud at times. And so that was a challenge. Now, the incident that came back in my memory just a few days ago was of an occasion when I was at the home. And I believe it was probably in the afternoon. So let's say early afternoon. And because I didn't have any plans that day, I had been in my room and had breakfast. And I took a shower. Let's say it was around 12, for example. And when I was in the shower, I had left on the sink a large tub of soap, my shoes, my flip-flops were right in front of the shower, my towel was in the bathroom. In other words, my, my belongings, my possessions were strewn around in the bathroom, which would be evidence to anybody who may accidentally come inside that it was Juanita, that I am actually in that bathroom. My property is there, my belongings are there, because when I would take a shower, I would hand wash my tights in the shower. Rather than washing a pair of tights in the machine, I would hand wash them, so the soap was out, my shoes were there, my towel was there, everything was in the bathroom. And I don't believe I heard anything, however, I will say that the bathroom door was opened because the lock did not work. And the shower curtain was pulled back very rapidly. Now, I was washing my tights and brushing my teeth at the same time. But I was able to just slightly grab the, sh the shower curtain. I was able to slightly grab the shower curtain. However, with the toothbrush in my mouth and the tights in my hand, I'm occupied. And I remember sharing the story with a friend and she asked me, why didn't you spit out the toothbrush? I didn't need to. There was no need for me to do that. But the point is, I'm there using both hands to wash the tights, toothbrushes in my mouth. My, my immediate response was to grab the curtain when it was being pulled back, not for my toothbrush to fall into a dirty shower, into a dirty bathtub. When I eventually came out of the shower and got dressed, my host, which is the husband, he's the one who came in the shower, he said he was looking for his daughter and he thought his daughter was in the shower because she sometimes had come in the bathroom and turned on the taps. Now, his story didn't quite cut it for me. And why do I say that? Because as I've explained, there was sufficient evidence in the bathroom 
that any person would be able to identify when it is in the shower, the soap, my shoes, directly in front of the bathtub. When he came inside, he didn't call anything out. He opened the door and stepped two steps and pulled back the shower curtain. He didn't call out and say, daughter, whatever her name is, he didn't call out. He dragged the curtain back. I felt very violated by that experience. And when I say dragged it back, he did it with such force. And I remember sharing the story with friends and saying, realistically speaking, the evidence suggested it was me in the shower, number one. Number two, who does that? When I pull the curtain in my house on the windows, when I pull the shower curtain in the bathroom, I do not drag it back. For what reason? Because by dragging it back, it can break, it can fall down. So realistically speaking, so that the things that, I'm st that I have, the things in my, in my home, that the property that I am looking after if I'm rented, for these items to remain intact and not be destroyed, I do not forcefully drag curtains or shower curtains. I pull them sufficient force, but not in such a way where it may be pulled off the rail, if you see my point. In other words, when he pulled it back, it was with such force and so quickly that it felt as though he was trying to catch me unawares. And I think to myself, if his daughter was in the bathroom, as he alleged that he believed, he doesn't need to drag it back quickly. He can pull it back in a slow fashion to ensure that it doesn't break, it's not destroyed. And if his daughter is in the shower, then of course to rescue her. Now, he did not tell his wife about this because when I discussed it with friends, I was encouraged to tell his wife. I told his wife and she said she had no idea about this. I suggested that they put locks on the bathroom and I said to them I wasn't comfortable and I explained this. A day or so later, locks were put on the bathroom, but I wasn't comfortable. When I spoke to my friend, he's a fellow attorney, he said it's sexual harassment. Now, I will say that attorney does not do cases of crime or even family law. He doesn't do crime or family. He doesn't do domestic violence. I say that because this was not a domestic violence situation because he's not a family member of my own. He's not a partner. We're not in a relationship. But the point is, if he understood those types of law, he would realize there was no sexual harassment. It was one occasion. And what I understand working with victims of domestic violence, for a case of harassment to be sufficient, it has to have happened on more than one occasion. Harassing, molesting, it's got to be on more than one occasion. And so in this instance, I'm in the shower, the curtain is pulled back. That was one incident that occurred. It was not sexual harassment whatsoever. Has a crime been committed? I can't answer that one. But what I can say is that I felt very violated. Can you imagine you're in the shower, somebody walks in and drags the curtain back with such force. I was completely embarrassed. Now, as a victim of childhood sexual abuse, I'm uncomfortable being undressed in front of anybody, including myself. So when I get dressed, guys, I do that in the dark with the lights off. No, I'm kidding. The point I'm trying to make is I'm uncomfortable. And even if I was comfortable, this is an intruder. So it's not even about being a survivor of abuse and being uncomfortable with my body. The point is I was violated. Somebody has walked in and no matter how he may apologize or come with excuses, that doesn't cut it. By the grace of God, I was able to move out a short time later. Let's imagine this happens Monday by Wednesday, locks are put in. By Friday, I moved out. I had a friend come back with me to actually get all my property out of the place. So I was never alone and nobody was there. 
So by the grace of God, I moved out real, real quietly and secretly and I left the keys. But that was a very horrible experience to have. No, I wasn't adult. I wasn't a child. But think about it. I was staying in a place I considered to be safe. I was paying rent. I was comfortable. And this person overstepped. And that's what we need to understand. When it comes to abuse, when it comes to perpetrators, exploitation, it's when somebody is overstepping boundaries. I mentioned that in a previous topic about experiences I've had with pastors. It doesn't mean all pastors overstep boundaries, far from it. It's just I happen to have experiences with pastors from different countries who do not know each other, to my knowledge. Very different experiences, but all of those were when they had overstepped boundaries. We need to put boundaries in place to protect ourselves. And even more so, if you have children of your own, you need to ensure that the boundaries remain in place. Somebody posted up something on Facebook quite recently, which I really liked. And having a look at what it said there, I thought it was fantastic. However, one of the challenges I had with that poster is that it says that if a child has experienced touching of their private parts or uncomfortability or been told inappropriate secrets, they need to report that information immediately to five safe people. Now, the challenge I have with that is when you tell your child, grandma is safe, uncle is safe, mommy is safe, auntie is safe, and daddy is safe. The issue with that is from research and having spoken to survivors, the names of people I've just mentioned are sometimes not safe and sometimes perpetrating that abuse against that child. So telling your child these are safe people, in my opinion, that is highly dangerous. As I share in my book, Can You Keep a Secret? I mention that when you say to your child, for example, do everything your brother says, do everything your mom says, do everything the nanny says. When you say that, sometimes that person steps into the role of caregiving for that moment. Let's say a nanny, let's say the mom is looking after the son or daughter because the husband's away. And the dad says, you better respect your mother, do everything that she says. There is an issue there. Because when you've made that statement without realizing, you've told that child, whatever your mother says, whatever the nanny says, you need to follow at all costs. I believe that is categorically wrong. Instead, let's change our words and communicate something like this. When you're at home and I'm out at work, you need to listen to what your mother has to say. I do not want you to disrespect her. She's your mother. You need to follow the rules that she gives you, provided that she does not make you touch her private parts, provided that she does not make you show her your private parts, provided that, in other words, this child we're talking about here is not a small child who needs to be washed and bathed by their mother because that sort of terminology wouldn't work because that child would be cleaned by their mother. I'm referring to a child who's a bit older, that you would say this kind of thing. Now, if the child is very small, then you would, of course, change the way you put that. For example, make sure that you follow what your mother says. Don't disrespect her. She's your mom. I will be at work. You need to listen to your mother. However, if she makes you do anything that is sexual, like the things we've talked about with regards to your body parts or her body parts, do not do it. And as soon as I come home, tell me. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to put fear in children. One of my clients, unfortunately, put fear in her daughter by telling her daughter, nobody should touch your private parts, which is correct. The issue, however, was when the child's father took her to the toilet, 
the child thought she was being abused and that wasn't the case. You've got to find the right kind of language to use and to communicate. Because as I say consistently, mothers can do it too. It is not just stepfathers. It can also be biological fathers, biological mothers. When a nanny, an au pair, a childminder is looking after that child and you've told your son or daughter, niece or nephew, do everything she said, do everything he said, that's a problem. Because you've given the child the instruction. And often children can be very literal. I found that myself, when I go into schools and share my message, I find that children can be very literal, which for me is very useful because when I teach them things, they understand it immediately. Compared to adults who overcomplicate, my experience with children is that they hear what I say, they absorb it, and then they respond on the basis of what I've said because they're literal. Understanding that you've got to think about how you instruct your children so you can safeguard them. Now, with regards to identifiers, how can a child identify? How can you as an adult identify? I'm going to reiterate some of the things I touched on in a previous session. Now, as I've said before, it is not just men. It can be women too. Understand that it could be any gender. We have something called pair-on-pair abuse. That is when friends, similar age, are abusing one another. I know of a case of a five-year-old child who was sexually abusing her cousin who was three. Now, with technology, that may not surprise you. However, before we became so apt with technology, that would shock people. But now, knowing that children are constantly on phones, using computers, iPads, and with the lockdown, knowing that children have to be connected through the internet, then it's easy to understand how that may have come about from something the child may have seen, may have been exposed to. Now understand, a person who is an exploiter, they may not have many friends. Now there are those who are very charismatic. When it comes to domestic violence, for example, many of my clients share that when they met that person, the love of their life, or so they thought, their husband, former husband, boyfriend, partner, the father of their child, they were often charismatic. Wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, it's important to note that some of these perpetrators, regardless of gender, may have mental illness or imbalances or even personality disorders. Understand that their way of seeing, viewing and understanding things may be different from the norm and it could be because of a mental illness or disability. Another thing to consider if they are in a marital relationship that that relationship may be more companion-based, not romantic or sexual in nature. In fact, I have a friend, a fellow attorney, who shared with me how his wife and him were roommates for about 30 years. Now, let's imagine, for example, that his daughters are in their 20s, daughters that say they're in their 20s. Now, when he told me that they've been roommates for 30 years and he's celibate, I had to ask him very frankly, are your children adopted? And he said no. In other words, they engaged sexually and were able to procreate children. So saying that they're just mere roommates is actually incorrect and that's a lie because they gave birth to biological children. My better understanding of the situation is that in that relationship, he was dissatisfied with the amount of sexual activity that was going on in the relationship and those were the grounds with which he divorced. Now that's a topic for another day. The point I'm trying to make is their relationship was companion only. 
Now, I do not believe that he or her are pedophiles. I'm just making a point that when it comes to the companionship, it can be a relationship where there's no longer any sexual desire for the husband or the wife. And that is because that individual gets their sexual kicks from child pornography or engaging in child abuse. There's another thing we need to consider too with this individual. They may have vague gaps in their employment. They may often be in and out of work. What if they like to travel a lot? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with traveling, but what about an individual who has gaps in their employment and likes to go away to third world countries, spends a lot of time overseas, maybe volunteering? In fact, I have a friend from Asia who currently is overseas. And she explained to me about how she met a guy when she was around 17, 18 years of age through the internet. They'd been in communication for over a decade and how he flew her from her third world country to his rich Western country. And she's been with him for three months. Now, I was greatly concerned. Now, she met him as around 17 or 18 through the internet. Her family have met him and she's met his family. Now, there's no pedophilia because she was of age and she claims they're not having a sexual relationship at this time. But my concerns was that he is at least 30 plus years older than her. The question that I have in a relationship like that is what is he getting out of this relationship? Because from where I stand, I believe that he is grooming her. They may not be having sex, that may be true, but I believe that he's grooming her. Because realistically speaking, if you want an Asian girlfriend or wife... Why do you need to look for them in a third world country, spend a lot of money to fly them over and keep them in house and home? She also expressed to me that she's not allowed to travel out of town. So let's say she was in the US, for example, and she wants to hang out with a friend in New York. She has not been given permission to do that by him. And he alleges the lockdown is still on. Now, the country that she's in, the lockdown has ended. Loose term, but it has ended and people can go out and about. But he is not permitting her to go out. That sounds like control. She said to me, I've known him for over a decade. I trust him. I said to her, men are liars. Now, I'm not saying every man. Let me be clear. I'm not saying every man is deceitful, that every man is a liar. But I'm making a general statement because I want to get across to her that the relationship she's in, I believe as a strong Christian, that it is not a relationship God orchestrated. The concerns I have is why is it he's searching out for a female 30 years his junior from a third world country? Now, I know for me, if I'm living in an impoverished village, let's say in the slums in Chennai in India, and you fly me over to the US and I'm with you for three months, I would feel that I am in debt to you. Why is that? Because my little Indian rupees will not go very far in the US. When I'm in your house, I have to follow your rules. I have to abide by that. I owe you. I'm in debt to you. Furthermore, why do you choose to seek somebody in a poor country 30 years your junior? If you want to date somebody 30 years younger, you can go ahead and do that. But why would you go to such lengths? That concerns me. Again, the question I have, this person's in their 50s. Why can't they find somebody their own age in their own circle? The point I'm trying to make with all things, we need to have an air of suspicion. I'm not saying paranoia. Just question. People have motives. When a person does things, there is a reason for that. What is the reason why there are gaps in their employment? What is the reason that they spend a lot of time associating with children? Why is it, when it comes to a pedophile, 
that they treat the children around them like they're adults, the conversations that they have, the places that they take them, the behavior that they have. Why is it when they're around children, they treat them as though they are adults? These are things you've got to question. Something else you need to consider with a person who may be a pedophile is why is it they have a fascination with children, with child activities? Why is it they perceive and behave as though children are angelic, that they're innocent, that they may exaggerate the child's behavior, making out that that child is so pure? Why is it that they may go and purchase items, expensive toys, expensive pets? Why is it that they seem to have a great love for childlike activities? Now, you've got to understand not every person is like that, but you've just got to question with all things, question the motives. And I think that is important because there are a lot of amazing people out there who may love children activities. I know of some men who enjoy watching animations. I myself enjoy watching animations. That does not mean to say that I am a pedophile or they're a pedophile. But with all things, I believe it's important for us to question. Always ask yourself the question, why? When a person seeks out a young woman, 30 years their junior, from a third world country and flies them over prior to the lockdown, they don't say, you know what, things are not looking great. Let me postpone this. Why would they do that? What are their motives? In all things, we need to test, as it says in the Bible, test the spirit. Let's not go blindly into relationship. Let's not walk into something blindly or walk away blindly. It's important for us to get our facts together. Get your facts together so that you can understand the situation and better safeguard yourself and safeguard others. As I said earlier, having a checklist is only so helpful. The Bible says we must be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But often these pedophiles, they are wise as serpents and their gentleness may even be as doves. They are very deceptive and they come as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Young or old, male or female, black or white. Pedophilia does not discriminate. Equal opportunity employer. It can affect anyone and can be perpetrated by anyone. So we've got to remember that. I hope this information has been useful. And as I says, I'm going to go into more detail with the topics that I'm discussing every week. Because I want to ensure that everyone who hears this will be educated and empowered to better safeguard the children in their world. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that this information has been useful to you. I hope that you'll be able to take this away to better safeguard the children around you. My desire is not to create a new generation of people who are paranoid, who are afraid, but those who have wisdom. As the Bible says, people perish for lack of knowledge. Now, you can get a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message me or email. And if you do have questions, please let me know so I can tackle this in future episodes. We can all learn from one another. This is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but the lives of people around you. You can find all my information on my website, changingcases.org. That's changing. C-A-S-E-S dot org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will become a safer place. 
Please tune in next week for another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? Mm-hmm.